Hello everyone, it is so good to be here with you as we dive deeper into this series Real Talk on Us Prayer. My name is Lucas Prado and for me it's a privilege to share my, the message and my heart with you. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself in a constant change of moods? Have you found yourself both confident and, and anxious, trusting and fearful? As you wake up in the morning you're feeling great, but as the day passes by, things they go downhill. Moods swinging all over the place, can you relate to that? Welcome to the paradox of human life. Two opposites of the same coin. On one side, we have our confidence, trust, hope, something to hold on to. But on the other side, we have our, our emotions, doubts, fear, uncertainty. That's why today we're going to focus on Psalm 27, which clearly talks about this paradox of life. But before we dive deeper, let me just like set the stage to all of us. Psalm 27 is part of this book called Psalms, which is a collection of poetic prayers, a mix of poetry and prayer all together from different authors. It is the handbook, it is the prayer book for the Jews and for the Christian faith. And Psalms are so popular because we can relate to them. They're practical, they meet us on an emotional level. They, they talk about who we are, our real, raw, human, fragile life that we have. But more than simply talking about us, it reveals who God is. It shows our identity, our emotions, our soul, our, tho our thoughts, but it doesn't stop there. It reveals the identity of God, the heart of God. I love what Eugene Peterson, he says, the Psalms were not prayed by people trying to understand themselves. They're not a record of people searching for the meaning of life. They were prayed by people who understood that God had everything to do with them. Psalm 27 was probably written by someone pretty well known to all of us, King David, a man after God's heart, one who reigned Israel and conquered several other nations. And he, he was quite like famous, but despite his royal resume, life, life wasn't easy at all for him. No, he was a shepherd, he was a soldier, he was a musician, a commander, a fugitive, a king, all in one life. And he had all his ups and downs, of course he had it. He, he was anointed king when he was a teenager, while there was still another king, King Saul, he was there and he was the king of Israel. But even then, he defeated a, a, a giant. He was serving in the palace as a musician, a soldier, and he even married the king's daughter. So things, they seemed to be pretty great, but actually they were not that perfect. He faced like lots of up and downs, ups and downs. King Saul got so jealous at him and tried to kill him. And now David, he was running away for his own life, hiding in caves, being a refugee in other people's lands, pure chaos. And that's not simply that. Later on, he becomes the king of Israel, but it is not all great for him. No, he's facing several battles against other nations. In his own family has lots of kids, but they have like a very messed up situation with all their kids. And one of their sons, Absalom, even tries to take over his own kingdom. See, global crisis, with all the battles that he was going through, national crisis with his own son's civil war. And not simply that, his personal crisis, he was facing some very issues within himself through all of this. Does this ring a bell? It sounds quite familiar, right? Here we are in a global pandemic. As we're facing worldwide all the deaths and all the impacts of, of this global pandemic. National crisis also with economic recession, businesses shutting down, all of that. And although 2021 is gone, the after effects, they're still here. We can feel them. And on top of all of this, mental health is a legit concern. Psychologists, sociologists, they tell like how we struggle with anxiety, with depression, fear. It's so real. So it is right here, like now in this moment, that we turn our eyes to this psalm and let it speak to us. 
Verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is. I love how David, he kicks off his poetic prayer. The whole world is falling behind him, like lots of struggles, lots of fights. But before giving up to all the voices, noises, and the pressures of life, he reminds his own soul, the Lord is. Here he's talking about the identity of God, Yahweh, the Lord of Lords, the Lord Almighty, the Great Almighty, the, the one that who created the whole universe, the Great I Am. And he says, the Lord is. The Lord is my light. Light's a, a natural figure for almost everything that is positive, from truth, truth and goodness to joy and vitality. And the contrast of light is what? Darkness. Actually, light is revealed in dark settings. And we humans, we crave for light. See how fire plays a huge role in our progressive civilization. We even have the Age of Enlightenment uh, during the 18th, uh, the 17th and 18th centuries in Europe. Uh, pretty much we, we seek the sovereignty of reason, human knowledge, empirical evidence, and we have great advancements from this age of enlightenment in science, philosophy, economics, but even so, there are some questions that they remain unanswered or even distorted. Have we truly been enlightened? What type of lights we're talking about? Lights within ourselves? What or who is the source of light? What about those who were harmed by such enlightenment? What about the darkness of our own souls? See, in the beginning of creation, we see already the contrast between darkness and light. Genesis 1 says, The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The Lord is Yahweh. He created light. And there are several mentions of the word light in the Old Testament. But guess what? This is the only text the first and only text in the Old Testament where God is called light. And in order for us to understand, we gotta, we got to read the whole book. That's why when we go to the New Testament, we see the full revelation of that. John chapter 1 says, In Him, Jesus, was life, and life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and Jesus came to the world. And later on, just to be clear to everyone, he goes on and he, he reveals himself. John 8 says, I, Jesus, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Lord is my light. Jesus is my light. And it doesn't mean that I don't go through dark moments, but it means I know who is my light, my Lord. And he shines on me even when I face the dark valleys, even when I walk through the dark valleys. The Lord is my light. And the Lord is my salvation. David's belief and hope is that God can rescue him from all the distresses of life. Can, can we save ourselves? Can, can we rescue ourselves from all the chaos, struggles, disorder, dysfunctions of civilization? Although we might try to be optimistic, positive thinking, and all of that, we still fall short. We still are quite, quite lost on our own, and we still can, can, can answer the deep questions of life. Like, why we're here? Where are we going? What's the meaning for life? And see, again, we see the fulfillment of salvation in the person of Jesus. The famous verse, For God so much loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And He doesn't stop there. He says, And God sent His Son not to judge the world, but to save the world. 
Jesus Christ, He is our salvation. That's the gospel. And we've got to simply believe in Him. Charles Spurgeon, an English pastor in the 1900s, he said something so interesting. Where there's not enough lights to see our own darkness and to long for the Lord Jesus, there's no evidence of salvation. Salvation finds us in the dark, but it does not leave us there. It gives us light. The Lord is my light. He's my salvation. And He's a stronghold of my life. He's my fortress that protects me, that guards me, that involves me from all the assaults of life. I, I don't know about you, but there are many times where I feel like pretty weak. I feel I don't have what it takes. I battle my own emotions, my thoughts, my, my, my own doubts. But it's right there in those moments that I can look myself in the mirror and I can say, Lucas, it's not about you. It's not about my strength or lack of strength. No, it's about the one who is the stronghold of my life and he holds me and he keeps me strong. He sets me firm upon a rock and I won't be shaken. Light, salvation, strongholds, triple effects of a Trinitarian God. God's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here he says, if God is my light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life, the question that he brings is, whom shall I fear? Uh, afraid of whom? As the Apostle Paul says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? And you might say, yeah, yeah, okay, I get this, but there's a real world out there. Man, I'm facing my battles, and it is real. The struggle is so, so real. Fear seems so real in my life. And that's why I love the Psalms, because now he gets raw, real, and honest with God. Verse 2, David says, When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Can you see the pattern here? When the wicked, my enemies, my foes, though an army, though are, come on, like this is real stuff, like real situation. This is a, a guaranteed stage of confrontation, combat. He's feeling that. Why? Because life is full of battles. Actually, life is a guaranteed battlefield. All of us, they're going to bang on our door. They're going to go hard on us. And we, we, we're sure that we're going to have all these battles, not simply once or twice, but probably many times in a life journey. Even our Savior, Jesus Christ, He told us that here, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have already overcome the world. Crisis. We all have crises in our lives, and actually, we're facing one right now. But it's right here that actually we got to stop for a second and really reflect who the true enemy is. It is so easy now during the season to go and look for enemies and point out fingers at others and declare them our public enemies. That's cancel culture. It is so easy to look for, 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 for demons out there. They're, they're real for sure, but we don't see the whole picture. And when we go to the Bible, it is clear the whole picture about who the enemy is. And Ephesians 2 brings like a summary of that in a beautiful way. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in, ye, in which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. By the way, he's talking here about Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But then he goes on, all of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following it, its desires and thoughts. See, the enemy here is threefold. It is the world and its corruptions. We see like how messed up it is, the world. But also it is the devil and, and, and the devil, Satan, personifies evil. And together with their demons, with his demons, like they work 24-7 against you and me. 
But it doesn't stop there. The enemy is also our own flesh, my sinful na nature. And, and the most difficult enemy to identify is not the one that is out there, the worlds or the devil, but it's the one that actually lives within ourselves, identifying the tricks of our own sinful nature against ourselves. And with this enemy, how easy it is to kill our souls, sabotage our own hearts. The dangers of life, they're real for sure, but they're also perceived, magnified, multiplied by the lenses of our eyes. It's all about our mindsets. Like Carol Dweck, she's shared in her best-selling book, Mindsets. We, we, we can all be dramatically influenced by how we think about ourselves. We can have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. And now this season is tricky because it's not so much what we're seeing with our eyes, but what we're experiencing inside of us our psychological, our mental health. That, that's what the writer is expressing here in this text. And he keeps going further in a few verses later. Verse 6 says what? My enemies surround me. Verse 9, don't hide your face from me, God. Don't turn me away. Don't reject me or forsake me. He's feeling that in his bones. Verse 12, he says, don't turn me over to the desire of my foes. In verse 10, it is so strong, he says, though my father and mother forsake me. Come on, like this is a super honest, real, raw conversation with God. And this is how we're supposed to approach God. But even with all of these, like he says, but I can remain confident. Even when I face full abandonment in life, even for my parents, which is terrible. He says, but you, God, you, my creator, you, my Abba Father, you receive me. My heart will not fear. Why? Because I know who is the king of my hearts. You are God. You are my king. The Lord's is. This, re this reminds me of one of my favorite movies ever, Rocky. I don't know if you're a, a huge fan of Rocky Balboa, but man, like, I enjoyed all, their, all his movies. And in the last movie, there is a scene that is so interesting. That Rocky is uh, walking with his grown-up son. Which, uh, who is clearly upset with Rocky because Rocky accepted uh, the challenge to fight the undisputed champion. And now Rocky suddenly is blaming his dad, saying, no, this is a bad choice because now, once you lose, it's going to look bad on me. It's going to impact me like in a negative way. And right there, like Rocky, as he is walking, he stops in the middle of the streets. He looks at his son and he says something powerful to him. He says, hey, son, let me tell you, the world in no sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. It's going to beat you down to your knees. But it's not about how hard you hit, but how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning it is done. And you might be wondering, but how? How can you really, really live a life like full of confidence? How can we face all the battles from the inside out and keep focused, keep moving forward? What's the secret? What is the secret of life? And here, the text, David says, verse 4, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. The secret of life is pursuing one thing, only one thing. Let me ask you, what, what's your one thing? What's the one thing you're seeking for, living for? What is, it, what is it? And if you could ask for one thing right now in your life, what would you ask? Remember when Jesus, he was, uh, he was talking to his friend Martha, who was pretty distracted by many things that she was doing, and she was mad at her sister, Mary, that chose to simply sit and enjoy Jesus' presence. And right there, remember what Jesus said to Martha. He said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Some of us were too distracted by many things. 
Before the pandemic, like we didn't have time for anything as we were distracted by a lot of stuff. We're doing a lot of things. But now the pandemic got here, we were forced to be in lockdown. And now after a while, out of, out of boredom, we start to do what? To seek one thing? No, we replace with many other new things. We binge watch, binge drink, social media, we buy everything on Amazon and you name it. But it's still so, we're, we're still unsatisfied, we're still shallow. What's, what's the one thing in your life? Is it career, success, power, personal significance, spouse, sex, kids, uh, pursuit of happiness? But even so, by, by yourself, choose, trying to seek all of this by yourself, we're still unsatisfied. And that's why here he says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, only one thing. So you might, you might be wondering, but what's the secret then? What, what is this one thing, man? I want to know, like, what is that that I should have in my life? And he says here, he says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Church, like, you think that the one thing that we should do all right now, seek in our lives, it is going to church? There, there are a few things here that we got to understand. First of all, like Dave, he was, uh, David, he was the king of Israel, but he was not allowed to enter the house of the Lord, the tent of meeting. Actually, God's instructions to, to Moses and to the people of Israel was that only the, the priests and the Levites, they were allowed to enter the whole, the house of God, the tent of meeting. And guess what? David, he's not looking here to change his job. No, he was the king. And actually, as a matter of fact, he couldn't at all even change. Why? Because in order for you to be a priest, you had to be born in the line of priesthood. And guess what? David was not. So this is not a question of a place or job position, career choice. No, what he's talking here is like, I want the Lord of the place. I want to be with God. I want God's presence. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only I seek. I want to be with you, God. And that's the same invitation to you and me. Like we, we are called by God to have an experience with Him, to seek Him. And as a matter of fact, like now we are the house of the Lord. Once you have given your life to Jesus Christ, guess what? He lives inside of you. He dwells in you. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? This is the one thing that we should all seek after. And that's why David says a few verses later, verse 8, My heart says of you, seek his face. And your face, Lord, I will seek. This is the one thing, the presence of God. We all should desire so greatly the presence of God in our lives. And that's like a, a personal experience. Like this, We're all called for that. And this is awesome because it gives us assurance that he is with us. But let me tell you also something that's also incomplete. And why is that? Here, like in our Western worldview, it is so easy for us to have an individualistic approach to life, where we think about ourselves, okay, how I can experience this in my own life. When actually, when we go back to the text, 1 Corinthians 3 says, <clears throat> don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God lives in you? All of you together. We are God's temple. We're His body. We are church when we are together. And life's not supposed to be lived alone, but it's supposed to be lived in community. We need each other. We need each other. And it's so beautiful because when we read the Bible and when we go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, chapter 21 gives us like a very beautiful picture of what the church is. 
21.3 says, Look, God's home, where God dwells, where God resides, is now among His people, people from all tribes, nations, languages, all of them, and He will live with them, and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. This is beautiful because this is what we should all pursue, God's presence. Personally and collectively, individuals and as a whole community, all of us, we should seek for God's presence. And it doesn't mean that we don't face struggles, uh, battles in our lives and all of that. No, we all face. But the fact that we are seeking Him, He reveals Himself in a powerful way. That's the meaning of church. And you might be wondering, but, but how, how, can we, how can we join? How can we be church when actually now we have limitations to be all together in the, in, under one room? And let me tell you something. The identity of a church is not, is not on a building. The identity of a church it is in our unity. Who we are depends on our unity. And this is what God is calling us to. Uh, let me tell you, during this pandemic, I have, I've talked to a few connect groups, and man, it is so, it's so mind-blowing for me how many of them they have been able to persevere in these moments. Why? Because they are together, and more than that, it is not simply a group that they're meeting together. No, but more than that, because they're together seeking God, their God is, and God reveals Himself in a powerful way. And this is what we're called to, we're called to experience that. If you're not in a connect group, let me strongly encourage you, join one. You're not supposed to fight the battles of life on your own. We're supposed to live together in community. It is one thing we should all seek together, God's presence, man. And it is so precious, it is so beautiful. But let me even like go further. Some of us right now, like what we're facing with this pandemic, we, we're, we're trying to assess the whole situation with our human eyes, with our human knowledge. Oh, but, but how come we're going to be able to fulfill the vision, the mission that God has given to us, looking for our landscape? Let me tell you, we're supposed to now go back to God's promises to us. Isaiah 43 says, See, I am doing a new thing, says God. And now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wastelands. Come on, do you not perceive it? Perception is different from sensation. And many times it goes beyond our current reality. And now it is a time for us to ask God, I want to have a divine perception, supernatural eyes, to put it simply like bold faith that God, you have given us promises, and now you're calling us just to say yes to you. You ask yes and amen. We want to see the fulfillment of each one of them. And it all starts with one thing. God, I want your presence. One thing I ask God, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. But David, you might ask, but, but why, why do you want to be with God? Why is that? And he continues here, to gaze on the beauty of God, on the beauty of the Lord's beauty. It's so interesting that he's not mentioning about the truth of God, the knowledge of God, although it is all so vital for us. And we know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. But here he says, but I want to gaze on your beauty. I want to gaze, delight, contemplate the beauty of our God. John Wesley, he explored a way of understanding the holistic Christian life that later on like, became known as the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, which is the four perspectives of the Christian faith. And he says that scripture is fundamental to us, and that's why here we are going deeper on Psalm 27. We read the Bible and we know that the Holy Spirit speaks to us through His words. It is God's word, Jesus Christ, He's the word. And also, the second is reason. We know that God has given us intellect and, and, and through like our knowledge, wisdom that God gives us, His knowledge to us, we're able to understand Him and see how He wants to speak to us. 
Yes, for sure, reason. Third, tradition. We know that we're not simply a God of one generation, but we're a God who was and is and is to come, and God's mission didn't start today. That's why we learn a lot from the past, from our brothers and sisters, that they came before us, from our fathers and mothers in our faith. But also the fourth one that is so easy for us to dismiss. And he says, experience. And in experience, why? Because we humans, we were designed, created to have experiences, especially Fundamentally, the experience with our own Creator, our God, the God who created the whole universe and who made you and me. We're supposed to have experience with Him. And there are several men and women in the Bible that they had experience with God, and it changes everything. Remember Moses, the great leader of Israel. He'd go up to Mount Sinai, and there he would stay for days. And overwhelmed by God's presence, God's beauty, God's glory, man, his, his life was changed. He would receive all the directions from God. He would actually, now in intimacy with God, he would know how to lead well the people of Israel. And when he came down to go to the, to the camp, back to the people of Israel, actually he had to put a veil on his face. Why? Because once people, they would see his face, his face was glowing so much with God's presence, God's glory, God's beauty, that others, they, they could not look directly at Moses. And see, in the New Testament, since Jesus came, and as we have given, of, uh, given our lives to Him, now we're called to a new dimension of God's beauty. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, who with unveiled faces, now we don't have a, a, a veil on us anymore, with unveiled faces, now we contemplate the Lord's glory, the Lord's, Lord's beauty in our lives. And now we're being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, from glory to glory, from beauty to beauty, which comes from the Lord's Holy Spirit. God's glory is beautiful, and God's beauty is glorious, and we should all pursue that. What, what are you pursuing in your life? What's the one thing that you have in your life? A few days ago, I was listening to a podcast about an, uh, an artist in New York City that he specialized in this Japanese art called Kintsugi, which is the art of getting broken ceramics and restoring them by pouring gold between the shattered pieces. And, and the whole idea, uh, it's so beautiful because it gets something that appears ruined and, and make it like more beautiful, more valuable than the original. Well, there's only one detail. The artist, he said, uh, Actually, you know the fractures in these broken ceramics? Once we finalize the whole work, the fractures, they don't go away. Quite the opposite. The gold in the fractures highlight them, but highlight them in a beautiful way. That, that's what's like when we're exposed to God's beauty. You know, like the ultimate beauty of God reveals our own ugliness. We see how broken we are. We see how imperfect, miserable we are without God. But right there, because we're in God's presence, He doesn't leave us there. His loving beauty doesn't leave us there. No, He, he, he takes us in His arm. He, he starts to, to work in our lives, to mend our hearts, to now work our, in ourselves as broken vessels. And He does something beautiful in us. In our brokenness and the fractures, they might still be there. But guess what? Now they're reflecting God's beauty in our lives. And it is a beautiful process. It is a beautiful way. God's beauty is all that we should have in our lives. And do you know, do you know what? Like we, 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 should, we should all pursue that in our own lives. Enemies, struggles, battles, all of these, we have all of us. We face so many struggles right now. But once we realize that although we are surrounded by a lot of stuff, 
actually, you know what? Because I am in your presence, God, because I have faced your beauty, I'm surrounded by you. And that's how I fight my battles, because I know that you are with me, God. You dwell in me and you want to direct my path one by one. That's the one thing that we should all seek after, God's beauty. And once, once you, you, you contemplate God's beauty, it changes how you see the world. I love what Nathan said last week. God's presence changes our perspective. And why is that? Because once you face God's beauty, how are you going to see the world? It is different. The whole creation is going to be different. Here we are in winter, almost done. But it is so easy for you and me to, com to complain about this season. Oh, it is too cold, it is too long. Oh my, come spring, come, and all of that. And I get it, but let me tell you, like, I don't get it. Why? Because we got to know we serve a God who is the God of all seasons. And now He's doing something beautiful now in this season. And we got to know that now it is going so much like deeper, deeper in our life that He wants to pre prepare us for what's going to come ahead of us to the future. But you know what? Like, if we... If we don't stop now thinking about the there and then and living the right here, right now, we won't see God's beauty being manifested. And more than that, we won't see God, God working in our lives in a beautiful way. We should come to God and say, God, I want your presence. I want you in my life no matter what. And God's beauty also makes you see others in a different way. Let me ask you something about your family. When was the last time that you looked at your spouse and said how beautiful she is? When was the last time that you contemplated her beauty and you were grateful to God for her? You know what, like many of the struggles that we face in our marriages right now, it is uh, trying to look for beauty in the wrong places. Now is a moment for you and me to go back to God and say, God, you know what? Let me see your beauty. And now overwhelmed by your beauty, please help me out to see the beauty in others. Starting with my family, with my spouse, with my kids, with my siblings, with my parents, with my whole family. And God's beauty also makes you see the world in a different way. God's beauty makes you see the ones that they don't think, look, or see the way, the, 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 in the same way that you see. You, you start to see them in a different way. You start to see them with God's eyes, with God's beauty. You know what? Like it's, time, it's time for us now to pray to God. God, I want to be overwhelmed by your beauty. And please, as I, as I receive your love, please help me out, God, to love others in the same way that you love them. How, how can we love the world if we don't interact with the world? And here we are, we are here in Toronto, which is so beautiful with the whole diversity that we have in our culture. But now it is a time for us to say, God, I want to see your beauty because I want to I be changed by your beauty, God. And everything starts with one thing. It starts seeking God's presence. It's all about him, His presence. I mean, how, how, how precious it is, God's presence. I don't know about you, but now, like, during this whole pandemic, like, sometimes we miss what we used to have. And I, I agree with you, I miss that as well. I miss being together, all of us, in one, one room, and we're seeking God, like, worship, and just, like, seeing God's manifestation in our midst. Yes. But it's not a time now to hit pause. It's a time now where you are to say, God, you know what? I want now to face your beauty. I want to have an encounter with you right here, right now, starting with my own family. And I want to see you changing my life here, right now, in my own family. But also help me out now in these moments, not to simply focus on myself, but how you want to take my heart together with the hearts of my brothers and sisters and unite all of us to contemplate your beauty. And as we see you, we want to change the world, God. We want to bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. 
God's beauty. And the result of this, it is so beautiful as well. Verse 6, David says, Then my heads will be exalted above my enemies who surround me. And at his sacred tents, at his presence, at the presence of God, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Joy. I love what John Ortberg, he said about joy. Joy is at the heart of God's plan for human beings. And the reason for that is so simple. Joy is at the heart of God himself. God is joy. And that's why now David, he's singing, he's dancing, he's playing music to God. Why? Because this is the power of music. It is so fascinating. And God's beauty in us makes us now express all our love to him in all creative ways. Many times, like with my family, I, I get the guitar. My daughter, she's three, she hops on the piano or mic. My son, he's two, he gets the, the drums or whatever he feels like. And my wife and the four of us there together, we start to play, sing, uh, dance with some worship songs to God. And it is so beautiful. Like my, my heart, my soul is so blessed. But man, for me, seeing my kids experiencing that, and they're so sensitive to joy, they enjoy the moment so much. That's how we're supposed to be. We should, we should all desire God's presence in our lives. That's, that's the beauty of all. And, and the consequence of this, later on he's going to finish the psalm saying, verse 13, And I remain confident, confident of this, I will see, God, your goodness in the lands of living. This is a real earthly experience that God he wants us. Yes, we're going to have heaven and we should aim for that. We know that this is our, this is our forever lands. How God is going to, how we're going to be in His presence forever and ever with no more suffering, with no more problems. But guess what? God, He wants to start and reveal Himself to you right here, right now. It starts in our family. It starts in our own neighborhoods, in our society, in our region. That's how He wants us to live right now. And we're called to go deeper and deeper and deeper with Him. What are you seeking for in your life? What's the one thing that you're seeking for? Is it giving you really life? Let me tell you, the Lord is my light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life, and having Him changes everything. Perhaps you're a seeker, skeptic, and let me tell you, like now God, He wants to speak to you. It all starts with you saying, God, you know what, like, I want to give my life to you. It says, Romans 10, declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your hearts that God raised Him from the dead, and you will be saved. You can experience God's salvation right now where you are. Just got to say, God, here I am, God. Please, come. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life. If that's your desire, where, where you are right now, I want to pray for you. And I would love you just to repeat after me. Say, God, thank you so much because now I have clarity that you are Lord and I want you to be my Lord. I confess my sins. I confess my struggles, my problems. But I want you, God, to be the Lord over my heart. I want you to take over my life, God. I want you to be my light, my salvation, the stronghold of my life. Come, God, save me and change my life. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. If you just pray that, like, we would love to follow up with you. We have a connect card that we would love you to fill that up. Also, we, we, we have our prayer team available. If you are in one of our services right now, we would love to pray for you. Please, like, come, just like hit the button of the prayer, like, and we would love to pray for your life. For, for all of us here, like, as we conclude, Sanctus family and all of us Christians, now is not a time for us to hit pause, but it's a time for us to be intentional 
and seek God's presence, he wants, he wants to reveal himself in a very beautiful, new, creative way to all of us. And one of the best ways for us to experience God's presence, it is when we reflect on his sacrifice on the cross. How our Savior, he saved us. That's the highest manifestation of love, like God's sacrificial love to you and me. This is the gospel, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. And that's why now we have communion, which is a representation of that. It is a sign of our unity. It is a guaranteed place to encounter God. So if you're a Christian, this is a great moment for us. It is a moment to rejoice, remember, and I'll say, God, I want to seek your face only, God. If you, if you need to ask for forgiveness, now it is a great moment to examine your heart and ask for forgiveness. But right now, do this in your own life. God's beauty, and He's here right now, and He wants you to encounter Him. If you're not Christian, you're not re ready yet to make a move, like, please, let me tell you also, uh, don't embrace then these elements, because you haven't embraced Him yet. But right now, all of us, just, just take the breads with you. And as you take the breads, God, we remember of your, of your body broken the cross for us, God. We remember the sacrifice that you gave us. And now we ask you, please, God, fill us up with your presence. Thank you for the cross, God. In Jesus' name, I pray to you. In the same way, we take the cup, the wine or juice that we have there. And we say, God, thank you so much, God, for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for you and me. And now we ask you, please purify our souls, God. Purify our lives. Thank you, God, for your bloods. God, my prayer is that now, during this moment, my prayer that actually you ignite our hearts, God, to seek you first. It's only one thing. And we want to seek your presence. You are our Lord. And we want you to be our lights, our salvation, the stronghold of our lives, God. Whom shall we fear? Do something beautiful in our lives, God, and do something so much more than what we have imagined, plans. You are doing something new, and we want to follow you. In Jesus Christ, I pray to you, God. Amen. Let me finish with the last words of the Psalm uh, of David here in the Psalm. He says on verse 14, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. God is doing a new thing, and He's calling us all to live for one thing, His presence. God bless you. Mm -hmm.